welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's April 21st, 2021, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today we are continuing our series on COVID a year later. And today we are going to get to hear Whitney White and Angela Maines talk about kids that have have just had so much loss and grief and how their worlds are upside down because of COVID. And one of the things that you're going to hear Angela say that I think is just so impactful is how as adults, a year, while it definitely seems like a significant amount of time, in the long scheme of our lives, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But to kids, a year could be a tenth of their life. It could be a, a, a very big, huge part of their life. It's a significant event to them. And so hopefully listening to this will help us look through and see how COVID-19 has affected our children and how we can care, disciple, and come alongside of them. But before you hear Dr. Rick introduce this interview even more, I want to remind you about the Roadmap to International Adoption webinar. If you're considering international adoption, but you're stuck with so many questions that we want to invite you to join this upcoming webinar, the Roadmap to International Adoption. Topics include the application process, it describes the home study process, it tells you what travel looks like even in this COVID-19 world, it helps you think through ways to finance your adoption and to look for grants and, and other ways to be able to fund your adoption and so much more. See our show notes for more details or register for free at lifelinechild.org backslash info dash meetings. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash info dot meetings. Well, Dr. Rick, I know that you have the privilege of getting to lead our counseling ministry at Lifeline. And that's something that you're very passionate about seeing biblical counseling uh, with 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 TBRI-informed practices and other trauma-informed practices delivered for families and children. And Angela leads out that counseling services. Tell us a little bit more about this interview and what we can expect. Yeah, Herbie, I'm really excited to share this with our our listeners. Um, uh, Angela Maines and Whitney White both serve on our counseling team. Both of them are uh, licensed professional counselors who have training and expertise in, uh, in working with kids coming from hard places. And so this is a, a kind of a conversation uh, between colleagues that are serving families currently. Um, and uh, Angela is our clinical director in our program. Whitney is, uh, focuses on education, but does um, see a number of families as, uh, as part of her work here at Lifeline. And, and it was just a, a neat opportunity to hear the two of them kind of look at COVID-19 in, you know, after a year and kind of in retrospect. And, and so um, without further ado, let's, let's jump in and hear the conversation between these ladies. And then uh, Herbie, let's, let's come back, you and I, and we'll, uh, just kind of talk about a few themes and, and maybe break a few things down. Hi, everyone. My name is Whitney White, and I am the International Education Counselor at Lifeline. And so I get the privilege of serving families in a counseling realm and also doing a lot of education-related things for various parts of our ministry. So we spent a lot of time early on when the pandemic kind of first hit the states looking at resources and trying to provide you guys with resources 
to help you adjust to all of the transitions that you are facing. And our team has been talking more lately, and we're seeing that a lot of our families and a lot of our children are really, really struggling at this time. And this has just been an ongoing thing that continues to kind of plague our society um, in a sense. And so we just wanted to kind of interview some of our key staff members who can really speak into what they're seeing as far as how families and children are being impacted at this time due to COVID-19. So I have with me today my friend Angela Maines. Angela, will you just describe a little bit about your role at Lifeline? Well, so I'm, as she said, I'm Angela Maines, and I am a professional counselor and registered play therapist, and I get the privilege of leading our counseling team here. Um, so I get to work with a lot of families after they've adopted or while they're fostering. Awesome. Thank you, Angela, for joining us. I was really excited to just hear Angela's point of view on all of this because she has her own caseload and then she just helps to oversee all of our caseloads. And so she she's able to have a good handle and a good pulse on what are some trends and what are some spikes that we're seeing um, in just post-placement challenges that are related to COVID. So what are just some of the impacts that you're seeing now as a result of COVID-19 at this time? You know, it's been interesting to watch because of course, Early on, there's the initial shock of everybody, everything is different, everything's changing. And we know that our kiddos really struggle when there's not consistency. And so initially there was that sudden loss and grief of a transition that there was zero preparation for that none of us really saw coming or thought was happening. I mean, maybe we did, but our kiddos certainly didn't. Right. And so there's that a lot of that initial shock and it's like initially, we all can, okay, we're having fun where this is new. We're going to figure out how to make the best of it. And now we're a year in. The newness so, has worn off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The newness has worn off and we're no longer in the, okay, we can do this for a little while. Now it's like, okay, this is reality. And we really just yeah. have no idea how long this is going to continue. There's some light, which is helpful, um, but it's just been a tough season. So especially I think for a lot of our families where there already were significant struggles, understandable because it's just hard when you welcome a child from a hard place into your home, there's going to be struggles. Some of those have gotten bigger. For some of our families, some of them have leveled out and being at home or pulling in and kind of re-cocooning has been a great thing. But for others, it's just compounded and created an even more explosive situation. Yeah. And now that we are a year in, you know, especially I think for some of our kids who maybe are at home more or homeschooled or virtual learning, and there's just not the opportunity to interact with peers right. or leave the house, um, then you've, I've seen families that were doing really well uh, just have a spike in depression and even suicidal ideation in younger kids because they feel so hopeless that this is going to change anytime soon. Right. And you think about it, when you're a younger kid, a year is a much more significant portion of your life than it is for, for us that are a little older, um, where a year kind of, you blink and you feel like a year has already gone by. So it, it feels like an incredibly significant portion of time for them. And that's a hard thing to figure out how to manage it's hard for us to figure out how to manage and we don't really have a frame of reference for what we've been going through. And so even more so for our kids. 
Right, right. I know that, yeah, I just, I feel like lately there was kind of that initial adjustment and my caseload, I'm sure yours did, and us other counselors, I just kind of increased initially and then things kind of stabled out. And then again, I think that that bringing that simplicity to life, canceling a lot of those extracurricular activities, not having as many opportunities to be as stretched then for a lot of families, it was a really healthy thing. And it was kind of considered a gift for some. And now I guess because it's just lasted for so long, there's just new frustrations and we are expected and it's like our society is expecting for everything to bounce back to normal. And we kind of have these expectations for ourselves and we really don't want our kids to be struggling anymore. And the struggles have just been on the incline. I feel like the families that I serve, um, our challenges have really increased even just the last couple of months. And that looks so many different ways. You know, I mean, for some kids, one child I know, he has an extreme fear of death. And so he is worried that he is going to die, that his family is going to die, that he's going to lose his parents. And then there's another child who is just really sad. And there's all these complicated subjects that are happening and he doesn't fully understand what's going on. And so that just translates for him to sadness. But then I think about another teenager and it's frustration and anger. I mean, she is just angry that she's just wanting to do what the normal things are. She just wants to do like her normal teenage life. And she's frustrated that she's missing vacation and that she's not getting to hang out with her friends or her parents' expectations of her social involvement are different than all of her friends. And that's creating tension in the relationship. And so I just feel like there's so many examples of how this is playing out and the fact that we are months and months in, some of those negative emotions are just kind of at a peak right now. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like there's, there's just so many things. Like, I think that's another huge trend. We've got our kids, generally speaking, are already more anxious, understandably so. Of course. And so now things like anxiety and OCD that can come from that, mm. you know, when you've got kids who are already afraid of things like death and dying, now they're hypervigilant all the time because it's everywhere. And then the added, okay, we've got some that are obsessive hand washers and everything happening in the world right now is telling them you need to be alert, alert, alert. (laughs) And so it's reaffirming so many of the things for them that were already challenges and difficulties. And then I think you add the complicating factor of adolescence. And I know having two teenage boys in my home, what that's looked like over the last year, because they are social beings and they're supposed to be, and that developmentally is what they're supposed to be doing right now, but they can't. And you feel like every time you turn around, being with people is the threat. And for our families, what we know is that connection and, and relationships are what help to heal. But right now, there's this invisible threat that makes even normal interactions unsafe. And so it just has accentuated all of the hypervigilance for parents and children as so much of this fear kind of drives and comes into play. Right, right. So it just sounds like, I mean, a child that has reasonably so a lot of triggers 
it doesn't matter what their trigger is, it's likely that it's been heightened over the last year. And so children are being triggered. And then our children who come with compromised beginnings of life, they are they desire control. And this has been a situation where there is no control. And if their mommies and daddies like control too, like it's really pushing us out of our box of comfort. And so that comfort that comes from feeling as if their world is under control, that predictability, there is no predictability when it comes to like, you're going to be doing school at home. Now you're going to be going in person and now you have to quarantine for two weeks and now you're going back. And so there's just in every facet of life, so much change, so much transition that just has our kids tail spinning and many of us as parents too. And when they are back at school, they have to wear masks. And so now it's not a normal, yeah. we can't even see yeah. kids who already struggled to read facial expressions are now limited to whatever they can see from here up. Yes. And then the danger that comes from not being able to see who a person is like, there's so many, it's just compounded one thing after another has compounded and continues just to be really hard for a lot of our kids and families, for sure. I mean, when we list the things out like that, I'm like, no wonder we're struggling. No wonder we're not like adjusting and everything feels normal at this point, even though it's kind of been prolonged. Um, It makes sense. And it makes sense as parents. Let's speak about adoptive or foster parents. Parents, what are some of the stressors that you've seen on them personally? Well, you know, it's there's a parallel process here, right? So, like, I remember initially being struck by I'm supposed to, as this mental health professional, help alleviate the fears and calm and stabilize my clients, but I'm going through the exact same thing they're going through. I'm scared, I don't know what's happening, and you've got the same thing happening with our, our parents who, you know, we want our parents to be able to be that secure base and that takes time and that's a hard thing um, because it takes that trust building Mm -hmm. along the way. And so for parents who are probably struggling themselves with with what's happening in the world and not knowing what's gonna happen next or how to handle everything. I mean, it seemed like we were hit with one thing after another during during 2020 and we all hope 2021 was going to be different but at the end of the day (laughs) there really isn't a whole lot that's changed yet and then you add all the things that happened early on it's like we're still in the just a continuation of what we had so I think that's the hardest thing for parents too is figuring out how do we help calm be the secure base be the person that's stable and regulated when we ourselves aren't feeling it right now and we're scared and we don't know what's happening, it's really hard to communicate safety and security to our kids who are hyper aware and really gifted at attuning to a parent's emotional state, especially the negative or anxious side, the the side of things that are a little more challenging. Um, So you've got a really, there's a huge challenge in front of us to figure out how to provide our kids with the stability and security they need when when there are so many factors outside of our control and right. so many factors that our parents are wrestling with at the same time. Right, right. So many, I mean, just think about having to work from home and the transitions that many of us have had to do professionally. And then on top of all of that, we're trying to figure out how do you do that when your kids might be at home with you? And how do you manage all of the juggle? How do you juggle all of those factors 
And then on top of all of that, you have a child who desperately needs predictability and needs stability and needs that felt safety every moment of their lives. And that has just been rocked. And so it is a really challenging thing that, that many of our families have walked through. I think I remember saying a lot early on when we were helping families adjust is, I just feel like this is a pressure cooker. This is a, anybody who is remotely prone to anxiety. This is a pressure cooker for them. And even those who have never felt anxiety before, um, it really <laughs> has stirred it all up um, in us. Absolutely. Well, what, what are there any, I'm curious if there are any recommendations that you find yourself sharing with your clients or your children um, that you serve or families repetitively at this time? What kind of have been your go-to recommendations lately? Yeah, well, I mean, often it depends on the family and what they're facing, but in general, I think that we need to figure out how to engage safely in social experiences. Yeah. Our kids need friendships, they need social experiences, they need people investing in them. Um, so whatever that looks like, whether that's a play date at the park, um, and, and again, this is hard because everybody's got their own personal level of safety and we wanna respect the things that our government has put out as far as mandates and keeping people safe. Um, so, you know, we've begun to see people in person again um, because it was just needed, it was time, but we keep masks on. So figuring out, and again, some of it depends on the kid um, and some of it just depends on, on your personal feelings of safety. I know uh, our kids are, a lot of them, at least in this part of the country are back in school. Um, so figuring out how can we continue, how can we work and take steps towards being as normal as possible yeah. Um, and providing those social experiences in a way that's going to keep people safe. Um, I know sat down here, some churches are meeting in person again. So I would encourage, again, there's always extenuating circumstances. And so your child or your um, somebody in your family may have a medical condition that makes that more risky. Mm -hmm. And so you have to weigh the cost and the benefit because at the end of the day, for some kids, the cost of isolation is going to be much more severe than the cost of having COVID. But for others, the cost of having COVID may be much more severe than the isolation. And that's the unique place that we're all in is weighing that and finding ways to, to just have a return for, to normalcy. Right. For us um, in the fall, it was love. It was really nice because my oldest was able to play football. Um, and again, we've got our own health risks in our home, but it was such a, a beautiful, like there was something to look forward to every day. There was the normalcy for us as parents of getting to go and watch because we enjoy that. And that's a social experience. And we kept our masks on. And again, you've just got to figure out what is the right move for your family. Right. But as much as possible, begin to start trying to do those things or, or creating experiences that allow for connection. Mm, that's good advice. Very good advice. I know another one that I am trying to, when you can't have that kind of normalcy or if you're gonna, the, the, the risk outweighs the benefit, so to speak, then if you're really, I know, I think some of the families that have struggled the most are the ones that are trying to be the most compliant and isolate. 
And so I'm thinking about homeschool families that never go anywhere, that don't have, they've, they've got the loss of co-ops. They have the lost loss of field trips to the local science center. You know, they have those, those experiences that they can't do. And so they're at home. Maybe they were used to it at home before, but now never going anywhere um, has created a really depressive state. Yeah. Because there's the lack of novelty or change. There's nothing to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And so in those situations, or even if you do have things going on, the more you can figure out how to create something to look forward to for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could, I know here locally in Birmingham, there's about to be a drive-through dinosaur experience, right? Like That sounds so fun. Yeah. like that kids would love that. <laughs> I think you need to come on over and do that. We will. We'll but, you know, so, so that's one idea of ways to creatively, you know, do something as a family, go get ice cream, have carpool karaoke where you pile in the car. I think that was actually Carla Thrasher, international director. I think her family did that. Cool. Totally stealing it from her. Um, but finding ways to do something, you know, last spring we went blueberry picking and that was beautiful because we were outside and we were able to do something fun and new, and then we had something yummy to eat later. So finding those unique experiences that still give you something to look forward to each week. Because honestly, I feel like at this point, there's only so much we can watch on Netflix. There's only so much we can, I mean, like uh, we're feeling a little tapped out and the winter months are hardest because you can't get outside as much. But if you can get a membership to your local state park, enjoy being outside, find things to do that get you moving, they get you exercising, but also give you something different to look forward to on a day-to-day basis. I love that. That's really practical, great advice. Is there anything else that's kind of on your mind that you feel like would be beneficial for families or any recommendations that you have that you want to add? Don't be afraid of the hard feelings and the hard emotions. Um, I think we can't fix what's happening in the world right now, mm-hmm. and we can't control it. And I think that's a really hard place to be in. And I think sometimes we really struggle as parents to figure out, well, if I can't fix it or help them move forward, or I've got to, I've got to get us past this as quickly as I can. And I want to encourage you, like, this is a really, it's hard. Um, but rather than seeing this period as a crisis, an extended crisis, see it as an opportunity. We want to teach our children resiliency. We want to teach them how to go with the unpredictable and the things they can't control because that is life. Most of, most of the control we think we have is an illusion. Yeah. So learning how to ride the waves of emotion and not be afraid of our children's emotions, not be afraid of our own feelings that are hard, but being willing to sit in that and experience it. That, if that is the only good thing that comes out of this, that would be life and world changing because so much of what we do as people is trying to deflect or, or push off pain and, and trying to keep from feeling those hard things or trying to move past it and get through it. We're just going to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. And at the end of the day, that pain, that grief, um, whatever it is people are feeling, it has to be felt. It's not going to go away without feeling it and experiencing it. So riding the wave, it's going to teach our kids, one, that they can. They can do hard things. They can survive when they have big feelings. It's going to show them that you as their parent can handle it, that you're not, you're not threatened. You're not 
um, dysregulated yourself by it, you, you're like, okay, you know, as a parent, we have to not personalize those big feelings right. or see it as some of shortcoming that we have, but just sit with it and say, yeah, you're right. This is really hard. I know I'm here. I, it sucks. I wish I was different too. Yeah. And so, you know, it's okay. I think sometimes, especially as believers, we feel like if we experience frustration, anger, rage, um, sadness, that we feel like on some level, we're not being a good Christian because we're just supposed to have joy in the Lord. Right. And that isn't the picture that God paints of emotions in his word. You know, you look at the Psalms and they are filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth, so to speak. There is a constant ebb and flow. And yes, we want to get to that place of surrender that you see repeatedly David gets to at the end of his Psalms, but we have to experience it before we can get there. And we have to let it be okay for our kids to experience too. Yeah. And it may not fix anything, but feeling it often brings you to a place of acceptance and surrender where you can experience that resiliency that we so desperately want and allows us to move forward. Yeah. Even when nothing else has changed. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really good advice. I actually said in another interview already, I said that whole like crisis mindset versus opportunity. And we do have such an opportunity to just meet our kids where they are and enter into their worlds. And maybe it seems insignificant to us, but their lack of social engagement, the things that are really most important to them, those things kind of getting messed up or disturbed or not happening can just be a huge grief inducer for our children. And so I think, I think twofold, like we want to meet them where they are emotionally, but we first have to recognize the struggle that they're in. And so we need to hear them. We need to ask questions of them. We need to be able to just see things through their eyes and like take a step into their shoes to see what amount of loss have they experienced over the last multiple months? What type of fear and anxiety are they experiencing And how can we help to just enter into that with them so that they don't feel like they're carrying this weight and this burden alone? Um, Absolutely. Because those ambiguous losses are hard because it's hard to quantify. Yeah. We know we've experienced a lot of loss, but we may or may not recognize all the things that we have lost in the midst of this. And for our kids, it's going to look like that anger, (laughs) frustration. It might look like depression. It might look like different It can look a number of ways. Most often we're going to see it through their behaviors, not necessarily through their words. You know, it takes a lot for a child to get to a place to be able to say, you know, mom, I'm feeling really disappointed because I had expectations for this year. My expectations have gone unmet and the reality is a little lower than expectations. So I'm feeling disappointed. We're not going to get that beautiful, like verbal processing of what's happening in their heads and in their hearts. It's going to come out through behavior. So use I encourage you to use the behaviors that you're seeing as an indicator to of something that is internal that might be conflicted in them or we're in an area where they might be kind of struggling. And so, yeah, and then meet them where that is. Absolutely. Great. Well, Angela, thank you so much. Can I say one last thing? Yeah, please share one more thing. I just really want our parents to give themselves lots of grace because again, 
it's not just hard on our kids. Right. We are going through it too. Yeah. Um, and so all of the things that we've talked about that our kids need, we need it as parents too. We need connection. Um, we need to put, so to speak, our own oxygen masks on before we put it on our kids. Like we have to fill ourselves if we're going to be able to provide that to our children. So be, be kind to yourself, be gracious because this is hard. And if you feel like you've messed it up or you get it wrong, like it's okay. We like to say it's not getting it right every time that matters most. It's that reconnection and repair that makes the biggest difference for them. And so I think them seeing you struggle is actually a good thing because it legitimizes their pain and lets them know that it's okay. So it's, it's okay to be real and genuine in an appropriate way with your kids. And so give yourself lots of grace as you, as you figure out how to navigate this, because we're all just kind of figuring it out as we go. Absolutely. Very good advice. Angela, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your wisdom and for just sharing a little bit about what you're seeing and um, just advice that you have. So really appreciate it. Well, Dr. Rick, so enjoyed hearing that delightful conversation. And, and what a lot of people don't know, because Whitney has become such a trainer and has been such the face of our education initiatives that Whitney is also a counselor. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she actually helped think through and develop some of our counseling protocols. And uh, she and Angela got to work together in counseling before Whitney took more of a role in education but I just think there's some some really good things and, and you know, things that we take for granted as adults because we have a bigger picture. But remembering that that our kids struggle with fear, they struggle with death and sadness. And, um, you know, for for adults, it's not that we don't struggle with death. It's not that we, we aren't mourned by death, you know, but for a child to think that their primary caregiver could get sick or could mm. die to to think about all the, the things of security that are shaken it's a, it's a really good thing to not just think back about what we should have done, but what we can do going forward Mm -hmm. to help our kids as they look back. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me in the interview was, was just the idea that um, for us, COVID-19 has been, you know, it was pretty sudden when it happened. Um, Obviously we're a year in and we've continued to drag on with the changes, but um, a lot of what we know about, you know, parenting kids coming from hard places um, is that we, you know, we spend a lot of our time kind of trying to prepare them for what's next and trying to, you know, kind of help them to transition well uh, from one circumstance to another. And a lot of that's grounded, you know, just in the fact that, 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 that our kids have had traumatic experiences that happened, you know, very suddenly and without warning and that it's a trigger for them when things happen suddenly, even, you know, sometimes even good things can be, you know, can be a major trigger. And that one of the really hard parts about COVID-19 is that we didn't have any time to prepare. We didn't have any time to kind of walk our kids through the changes. And, and the fact is that over time, a lot has continued to change. You know, they've gone back to school and then they're out and they're, you know, they're quarantined and then, you know, they're, they're meeting some days, but not others. And, you know, circumstances just continue to change. And it's really just left a lot of families in, you know, in a, in a great deal of upheaval. I think, you know, Herbie, the other, another thing that I, I think you kind of see coming out of this is, um, we, we've seen a, a pretty significant uptick in, um, 
in families who are having challenges and families that are having, you know, deeper challenges through, you know, through COVID. And, and I think part of it is, is people are also seeing unexpected challenges because their kids are just really dysregulated. And so there's a sense that, um, you know, we see a child that, that appears to be really angry, but are they really angry? <laughs> you know, we, we see a child that seems to be defiant, um, but, is, but is their behavior really rooted in defiance? And, and I think that, um, you know, the ways that kids are, are responding are sometimes not really transparent to the things that are, you know, that are going on, you know, necessarily underneath. Yeah. Um, and I, I think an important thing for all of us to have during this time is grace, grace for one another, grace for ourselves, and especially grace for our kids. And I realize that during times of uncertainty, we really all process things so much differently and we look at things so much differently, uh, you know, and, and, and I think to really understand, especially with our kids that have come from hard places or trauma informed backgrounds, that, that they process things in a such much a brittle way right? Things that seem sudden and maybe not even seem that big of a deal to us can, can seem earth shadowing, shattering. And, and I think as well to remember that our kids see more moment by moment. And as adults, we tend to look around the corner that we can't see. Uh, we, we, we have more of a hope that eh, this too will pass, mm-hmm. you know, but our kids don't see that and they don't have the life experiences to be able sure. to look around the corner I think one of the things that just really come, and I'd love for you to touch on Dr. Rick, because this is such an important thing. I think as Christians, especially, we we get into a place where we feel like we've got to show the world that we have it all together <laughs> and to come to a place to admit that things are broken or upside down and we need help. But we should, of all people, be the ones that are the easiest to come forward and say, I'm broken. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in need. Obviously, I need Jesus. So I'm broken. Uh, and I've come to that realization, but unfortunately, sometimes it's it's hard for us to to actually come to that point. Why, Doctor Rick, is it so important as believers that we seek godly Christian counsel? Well, I think you know if, it, when we reflect on the scriptures, the the fact is that um, God calls us to to work out our faith and to work out our relationship with Him in community. You know, just plain and simple. Like we're not, we're not meant to be islands to ourselves. We're not meant to do, you know, to do this journey alone. And, and, you know, some of this stuff, I, I think, and I, and I hope I'm not, you know, I hope I'm not stretching the scriptures out of, you know, out of shape or out of context, but I think some of this about even, you know, where we see things like, you know, confess your sins one to another, those, those kind of things, there's accountability in that certainly, but but there's a like there's a communal aspect to that. Why are we supposed to talk to each other about those things? Because because ultimately, um, sometimes saying them out loud and talking talking about difficult things with with someone else who has perspective, you know, God really uses them to to help to work in and to help you, you know, even you know conquer sin. We ultimately know the the power to forgive sin. Um, and, and the power to live beyond sin is something that, you know, that comes only from Christ, but Christ uses other people. And, and I think, you know, sometimes there's almost even a prideful kind of thing that we, we sort of step into this and say, man, we, we're going to be really disappointing Jesus, or we're going to be letting the cause of Christ down because, because we admit that we're frail and broken. And that's just a lie from the enemy. 
I, I think that's something that, you know, that Satan uses and, and, and that Satan plants the seed or at least, you know, certainly orchestrates circumstances around the, the planting of, of, of that seed that, that we think, and, and man, how arrogant of us to think that you and I and, and our frailty is going to somehow put a bad face on, on Christ and his gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, like you and I need rescue. We need help. Like we, you said it, we're, you know, we're like, we're broken. And the gospel is the, you know, is the ultimate story about, about God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And, and yet there's this prideful part of us that doesn't want to, you know, delve into that. And, and I think you, you know, you see it all along and, and, and right now, like none of us know what we're doing. Mm. You know, part of the reality of, of dealing in the, in the midst of a, of a pandemic is knowing that, that the things like we're all in uncharted territory here and, and, and having the perspective of being able to sit down with a professional who can bring some tools to bear to really help you think about yourself and think about your family and think about your behavior and, you know, think about your even your thinking and the way you think about things and, and help bring, bring perspective to that is, is ultimately a, you know, a, a great gift. Um, I think one, you know, one thing Angela said in the video, and I, I'd be really interested just to kind of hear, you know, hear you talk about this a little bit, but I know it's been something that's been, it's definitely been difficult for us. And it's been a part of our, you know, part of our experience is having kids that are, that are teenagers during the pandemic has really been challenging because because our kids in in their development is like community is a part of that developmentally part of what's going on in an adolescent is learning how to to you know be at home with themselves and to understand who they are and and then how to invest that in relationships with other people and and like at a time where we have kids that are growing through those years and are supposed to be perfecting those you know those abilities like they've been cut off from being able to do a lot of that and i think some of the frustration that we see in our kids I, personally at our house is is born out of the fact that our kids kind of intuitively know that there's something that that they should be doing and they should be able to do that they're unable to do and they're just frustrated yeah, I, I would say 100%, you know, I know you and I have both worked with teenagers and have often quipped and joked that, you know, you we had a lot of wisdom advising other folks on how to love on and care for their teenagers. But when it really came to parenting teenagers, we realized how much we really didn't know and how much grace we we should have had for those parents. But yeah, you know, part of what you and I both know is that adolescence is a time of getting to understand the outside world. Um from a different perspective, friends take an outsized importance. Uh, and those relationships, those being known outside of your, your family, um, being, being recognized and accepted outside of your family. And so mm-hmm. unfortunately, I think for ki- our kids, they, they actually start to feel unaccepted. And it's not because they're unacceptable, but it's because they don't, they aren't with their friends and mm-hmm. those relationships are, are, are just strained. And so, you know, I know for Ashley and I, where some families may not feel as, as, as close or as, as willing to take this risk. Uh, but we had to come to a point to realize that the risk of alienating our kids from the rest of the world was greater than the risk of bringing mm. a disease inside of our home. And, 
you know, what's funny is we allowed our 16 year old to have a birthday party and brought COVID into the home. So, uh, you know, and by God's grace, we didn't have it bad. And I, I know I don't want to be I don't want that to be insensitive because I know that other families, that's just not an option because of disease or because of other pre-existing illnesses that they may have. But I think we've got to continue to be creative in the way that we allow our kids to associate, to have those relationships uh, and to be uh, to, to be able to, to explore those. I know for, for our daughter, she had a friend who, you know, their parents knew that that relationship was important. And so they FaceTimed a lot and were able to talk a lot because that that relationship meant something. It couldn't replace being face to face, but but it certainly did. I know we had socially distanced picnics with other families uh, just to be able to see someone in the flesh and to have those conversations. And so, you know, it's really important for our teenagers not to feel isolated. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. Rick, as we close, I, I'm just reminded about what Christ said to Paul or that Paul recounts the church at Corinth that Jesus said to him when he said, my, my grace is sufficient for you and my weakness because my power is made perfect mm-hmm. in your weakness. And, and I want to just leave folks with that. You know, we are imperfect creatures that are weak. Um, we are needy vessels and we need to be content in our weakness because we know that when we are weak, Christ is strong. And, mm-hmm. and as Dr. Rick has so aptly said, this life was not meant to be lived in silos. And we want to come alongside of you and your family with godly biblical Christian counseling that will help you and your child thrive and survive during these times. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.